We have a minute and a half. It's my responsibility to tell the control room and New York that we won't be ready. Uh-uh, we'll be ready. In 84 seconds, 15 seconds. Oh, God. You're saying, oh, God. Lay it in, Bobby. Back out. They're going to go up and the screen will be black, and they're going to go to black because we're not there. What about careers, huh? We're not going to make it. Whoops. Whoops. Lifers Podcast with Scott Lucas, Gabe Rodriguez, and Ben Reiser. And now, here's Scott, Gabe, and Ben. All right. Uh, how are you guys doing this week? Who wants to know? Are you guys there? We're here. What, what's, what's up? I got nothing. I got nothing for you guys. In, in order for this pre-interview segment to work, you guys are going to have to come up with something. Let's oh, yeah. see how this works. Let's see how this goes. Gabe, what do you got? Give me a second to prepare. You, you didn't tell us ahead of time that we're supposed to come up with the content here. We should always be prepared. That's the thing. Thank you, like, Ben. I, I agree. I agree. You should always have something to bring to the table. I but brought you an MF to the table right Don't bring anything to the table. <laughs> you bring F.A. to the table. F.A. F.A. I don't know what that is. Fuck all. <laughs> you bring fuck all to the table, Gabe. Can you say fuck all without a British accent and still have it mean something? Mm, sure. I think so. Have you done such a thing other than just now? Did I not just do that now? You did just now, but... I didn't even think about it, you know? It wasn't like, it wasn't like I was looking at it and going, how am I going to say fuck all? It's an American You weren't accent. No. No, I wasn't. Because I know some people uh, from the UP who say bloody all the time. And every time they say it, I'm like, I don't, I they don't do? think that's a thing. What, what do they think? They realize that UK and UP is not the same thing, correct? That's what I'm trying to say. I'm, They're I'm from the UP, though. You, you never know. Football. Hey, you know what I finally saw that uh, you've been bad-mouthing for six months or so? This should be good. What? Uh, um, past lives. Oof. Pew. It's fine. I mean, she's not in it, but you know what I'm talking about. No. You, you liked <laughs> I it, huh? what you're talking about. Did you, Florence Pugh's not in it. Right. <laughs> so you like past lives? I mean, I like it more than Barbie. On that list of, on the list of the 10 Oscar here's nominees, what I, here's what I'm it's not my of. least favorite. I'm getting sick of, uh. Dudes going, uh, you know, Barbie, it's not that good. And listen, I'm a Greta Gerwig fan. I'm a fan. But you got to admit, Barbie's a piece of shit. All right, Greta Gerwig's directed three movies. Now, if uh, three movies, you only like two of them, that you're not a fan. 
Like even even Meatloaf would say two out of three ain't bad, but he he's not saying he's a fan. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything yet, Gabe? Because we're dying over here, man. <laughs> You're dying, but this is your content. This is your idea of talking because about Because I told you I didn't have anything, and you're okay. sitting there with your I thumb got something. up here. Listen, something came across my feed last week, and nobody had told me anything about it. I might uh -huh. have to make some plans for September, because in Louisville, <laughs> there's a big metal fest happening. That's right. And really, really small on this marquee is the word local H. I'm like, I had to get my glasses to find it. What's going on? Louder okay. than life. Okay, louder than life. Yeah, what about it? You kept us We're playing. playing. We're playing. Okay. Well, how do you feel about it? I mean, are you excited to be in front of all these metalheads? Thousands, hundreds of thousands of is people? It, is it, is it, is it, is it, is it, is it really? just a metal fest? Yes. Is it? Is there, there can't be more than metal. This is slight. Chevelle's on it. How metal can it be? Come on. Metal, new metal, old metal, post metal, whatever it is. Butt metal, butt rock, whatever you're going to call it. <laughs> so we're the butt rock part? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I don't know what butt rock is. I Listen, still here, don't know here's another is. thing, Gabe. There is a certain <laughs> festival coming up that we are also on in California. Really? And there's another band playing that festival that you might like. Has this been announced yet, or is it about to be No, oh, it hasn't been announced, but it's about to be... Well, when this comes out, it'll have been announced. You hope. Go ahead. Let it hit me with <laughs> you it. You hope. <laughs> well, I, I know it's about to be announced in, like, a couple of hours. It's Fonza Noon Fest. It's the Fonza Noon Fest. That's right. <laughs> I don't know what that is. It's, I looked that up, and I'm sad I did. I don't know what the hell that is. What's this? I can't see You see it. that? I was supposed, see what is it? I can't read that. It's called the Aftershock Festival. Really? I've heard of that. And you, do you see who's headlining the Aftershock Festival? Uh, the Ooh, Iron Maiden. It's not the replacements. I thought they already did that. When was this? I'm are saying you, uh, you, you put in some time. Are you playing the same day as Iron Maiden? At this point, we don't know. I'll see. I'll see the. Uh, I'll see the lineup. In a few hours. Well, speaking of intro segments that you have, Gabe and I produce, I have a special guest uh, coming onto the podcast right now. Ooh, a special guest. Uh, for rebuttal from something that came up last week. But before you do that, oh, I, it's Gabe, who, now. We, Gabe, who do we have on the show today? Today, Bobby Talamine? Talamine. Who? Talamine. Talamine. Yeah. Hey, Mr. He says Talamine. Tally me bananas. Now, Bobby produces... Uh, Bobby pronounces names the way he wants to pronounce them. <laughs> yes, he does. So yes, it does. could be Talamine, Talamine, or Talamine, but I he says Talamine. Him. I should have asked him about Uli John Roth. Oh, I missed it. You missed it. But uh, <laughs> go, go on. Tell us more about Bobby Talamine. Oh, I didn't realize how many fo how many shots he took that I recognized. Well, tell us famous, who he is. Tell us, tell us what a, he does. He's a, he's a music fan that is a photographer in the Chicago area. He's got lots of stories about touring with Peter Gabriel. He's a music photographer. He's a He's rock a music photographer. photographer. Yes. Yes, but not this as much so of a fan of metal. so hard for you to tell people what he does? I'd like to put it in my own words. That's always a mistake. <laughs> always a mistake. No, this week I got it right. Play the tape. Anyway, Bobby Chalamine. 
I, I wasn't. <laughs> oh, I knew it. I knew you were going to get it wrong. Of course. Oh, I he's going to love you. Yeah, Bobby. Bobby's great. Everybody that knows Bobby knows that he's great. And uh, he's here. And look who else is here. And now it's time for Uninvited Guest. From Soma Records in Maplewood, New Jersey. And episodes 66 and 139 of the Lifers Podcast. It's Renaissance Manchild, Mike Lustig. Look who else is here wearing a descendant shirt. Are, are you at the store right now, Mike? No, I'm in my basement. <laughs> okay. Why? I'm just wondering. Is this a boxes of local H records behind you? <laughs> yeah, it looks uh, like Gabe's warehouse. No. <laughs> are you a... and Gabe sharing a basement? <laughs> I do have like four local H records that haven't sold yet. <laughs> They're not going to. <laughs> I just, I, I just wanted them in the store. Uh, Mike, uh, last week we talked about bag taxes in Chicago. Yeah, I knew this was going to come back. And um, <laughs> then we, then I tried to call you, and you yeah. kind of got thrown under the bus. But uh, maybe, do you want to answer the question about uh, your record? How is him or... not answering the phone, throwing you under the bus? Through, he's saying you threw me under the bus. I threw you under the bus. Yeah. I, Perce- I mean, proceed. This about, is getting good. <clears throat> all right. The bag thing is incredibly boring, so I'll answer it really fast. Uh, but that's yeah, on our, brand for you on this show, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, they, the town makes us charge a tax. They make, or they make us charge for the bag, and then they tax that charge. So, basically, you're supposed to count the bags, and the tax man walks in and says, hey, you got this many bags and you only charge this many bags. I have, you know, we've yet to charge a single person for a bag because oh. it's so awkward and weird. I'm just not used to it yet, but we're supposed to. Right. But I guess the good, that's it's a like good you don't question, care about Scott. doing your part for the planet. Right. What happens know. if you don't like they can't, how do they, how do they figure out what I don't you're... know. I really don't know. But like most people actually don't take a bag because they're, you know, they're not supposed to. <laughs> I know Scott's a big fan of the waste. But. Hey, man, I'm just trying. <laughs> I, I got a dog. I got plastic. Okay. So, uh, you want to talk about blues songs? Well, that we're so glad that no, you I came wanna, back. I, I want to go back to uh, <laughs> the Rolling Stones. <laughs> because that was... <sighs> you know what I'm talking about, Scott? I don't. Alright, so <laughs> you did the best songs about satan and the devil that was the last episode i was on about sympathy for the devil or about the no about that best songs about satan or about the devil okay i thought you spot about sympathy for the i've seen a movie about sympathy for the devil but never heard a song about sympathy for the devil you never heard that song I've heard sympathy for the devil i've never heard a song about sympathy for the oh i see what you're saying you see what i'm saying I see it. Uh, so Ben told me, and Ben was under this impression as well. Well, Ben, Ben's a... I know. He fucks everything up. What did I do? No, you, someone fucked up. Ben's a telling ass bitch is what I, Ben is. You and I thought it was songs with Satan or the devil in the title. Yeah. And but no, that, that counts. That could have been. Right, but you came in with songs just about Satan, which could be anything. Which... 
Yeah, but they were born anyway. with a tail. What? Born with a tail, Lucifer Sam. I mean, it wasn't wasn't a it wasn't like I was coming in with back and black. Anyway, I was under the impression you were not happy with the sympathy for the devil <laughs> choice. No, that, no, that wasn't that the problem. Was, that wasn't the song that was the problem. I think they were more annoyed with your with your more obscure blues or earlier blues tracks that nobody knew. I did like a Robert Johnson song, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, all right. That's absurd. Fucking fucking record store owner. Yeah. <laughs> How's it going over at Selma Records? It's been kind of great. It's uh, people are very psyched at a record store in the town. How long has it been open? Uh, like a week and a half. Wait, wait, really? Yeah. I was just selling online and stuff like that before. Wow. So we just opened the store and, uh, where's it located? It's in Maplewood, New Jersey, which is like five miles, uh, west of Newark. I only know Fairlawn, New Jersey. That's close to where I grew up. That's where Travis Bickle's from. That's right. Yeah. Is that where Fountains Uh, of Wayne are from? No, they're named after a place in Wayne. Oh, Fountains of Wayne. Sure. Duh. I thought they were from Hoboken. They may be, but they were, there was a store on Route 46, I think, and they sold like lawn fountains, and it was called Fountains of Wayne. They didn't want to get confused with Fountains of Weehawken. How about that, Gabe? Okay. Gabe. <laughs> I'm not even following. So now, Mike, you and your friend own this store, and you, do you work at the store at the same time, the both of you? Not usually. I mean, sometimes, but... So you work by yourself at the store? Yeah. So there's no witty repartee that someone could come in and, and, and watch you two go back and forth on? It's not, not like visiting a Kevin Smith movie. No. No, it's like visiting oh. Travis Pickle. I'll be there. <laughs> What's the last album you played in your store? I've been do, just doing like a playlist. Oh, okay. what? Come You're not playing on, vinyl? Dude. No, you can, I, I mean, if we what? get slow, I will. Sure. You're playing but a playlist play, in a record store? You can't check people out and you know, oh. I'm the only person there. I can't be changing the record every Yes, minutes. you can. Uh, <laughs> you got two arms, motherfucker. Listen, <laughs> this is... You know, it's funny. We debated this, but before we were opening, we were like, do we have to play vinyl? Yeah. Yes. And we, de- and we decided no. You Wrong. No. Over at Spike's amazing. record rack, I think he's playing vinyl all day long. You better get with the trend, man. You're telling your customers to do what you do, not what you play. No, do what you say, not what you do. Do what you say, just, not what you play. You get really, what you play for, my friend. No, I, I advocate them. You can tune play. a piano, but you can't tune a fish. Now, wait, do you also sell CDs? CDs, nuts. Yes, CDs, eight tracks, whatever you want. Oh, you have eight tracks? Edison cylinders, sell it all. Why don't you play an eight track? Because that thing goes around and around and around. Play eight tracks. Yeah, I could. Or actually. at least play a CD for God's sake. I just sake. bought play a I just, playlist. I just got uh, metal machine music on eight track. Oh yeah, is, that's a priceless. How is that? that? How is that uh, <laughs> cut up into the <laughs> programs? I have, I there are programs, right? Four programs. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't you actually haven't. listened to an A-track in a while. <laughs> it wasn't fun. 
It was the Ooh. most useless format. They sucked. Yeah. Uh, um, I don't even understand really why cassettes are so popular again. I was kind of kids are stupid. They're you guys put out dumb. a cassette last year, didn't you? Yeah. Cause kids are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> the amount of records that I bought on cassettes rather than vinyl. I, I, I regret every single one. Yeah. Scott, did you make mixtapes? You made a lot of mixtapes, didn't you, Ben? I made a lot of mixtapes, yeah. A lot Absolutely. of mixtapes. A lot of mixtapes. Would, would you give them to, like, you know, girls and be like, I yeah. made you a mixtape. But that, but that is the origin story of my friendship with Mike, is we were both working at the Park Slope Copy Center, and the first thing I saw him do was give this girl who worked at the store a mixtape of blues songs, and I was like, I need to stay the fuck away from this guy at all costs. It wasn't even blues songs. <laughs> yes, it was. It was. Yeah. No, it was like it was. It was Robert Johnson. <laughs> no, it wasn't. It was what all was like it? A, it was. It was like Stax and Motown and oh, okay. I'm sorry. Aretha and all that. Mm, okay. Well, you think we're talking wow. about the blues? Maybe here's some, something. Here's some. Here's something else that's got to end. People talking about their origin stories, like they're superheroes. <laughs> this is our origin yeah. story. That's the first time right, I've ever Wolverine, said that cool it. about anything. Well, you, you said it like so you've been you're saying, saying your I whole need life. to stop it right in its infancy. As soon as I start, I, need I to want stop. to kill that little thing right there. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm sure this has been a pleasure for you, Mike. <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> um, you don't get plugs like this very often. No. Um, but here's the one last thing I want to ask you before you go. Yeah. And I know you have to leave. Really what is the theme of the show? Are people dropping in and out? No. Nope, we nope. had a regular guest, and now we're doing the intro. Oh, gotcha. As we always do, in reverse order. But do you sell, and if you don't, I recommend you do, like Best Buy, where they also have like candy bars and stuff at the counter, so that you can pick up a little- Candy bars. A little candy treat on your way out of the store. Wait, you wait, you want, you, want, you want to know if he sells candy at his store? Yes. Uh, <laughs> do you sell candy at your store? <laughs> no, that's a great question, but no, we don't. Should yes. I? You really I don't know. Think yes, I, should? I think you no, should. No, you should be playing records at your store. Well, that too, candy for sure. is unnecessary. We have, I mean, we have a turntable and speakers and everything there, but But usually- how far away from your designated spot, your counter, is that turntable? Can't you as, reach it at the same as time? As far as you're- possible. Have you yeah, ever seen high on the other side of the store. fidelity? Yes. Mike, have you seen High Fidelity? Yeah, of course. They play records. They do, but it's a movie. Yeah. It's what? <laughs> when you what was the story you were talking about last week in Chicago? Some reckless. Reckless. Oh, reckless. Yeah. Are they playing vinyl there all day? Yes. You think so? <laughs> <laughs> I think I would, so. I, I don't would know. Check for, it out. I don't know. You know, I don't know for a fact. I would bet you they do. Next time they charge you seven cents a bag. (laughs) That's right. But it's only three cents in New Jersey, right? Five. Oh, okay. But you you live in New Jersey. Yeah. Anything else? (laughs) I don't know how we can top what's happened for the last 10 minutes. Hmm. This is good content. This is great content, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, good luck with your record store. What are your hours? Are you open seven days a week? Uh, It's very complicated. No, we're open from Wednesday to Sunday. Oh, wow. Look at you with a boutique. Boy, yeah. oh, boy, you're living the life. Yep. Wednesday Close to Sunday. Monday and Tuesday. Wednesday to Sunday. Wednesdays or Sundays. So it's yeah. like a Mexican restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> I guess. Is that what happens at a Mexican restaurant? 
I don't know. There's one that I love that's always cl closed on Mondays, and I, it, it makes me hate Mexicans. It's like Chipotle <laughs> closed <laughs> on Sundays. Mexicans? Like. Just for the day. Chipotle's not closed <laughs> on Sundays, are they? Sorry. What are you talking Chick -fil -A. about? Chick-fil-A. Oh, Chick-fil-A. No, they're closed on, oh, on Sunday. Yeah, yeah. How do you know that, Gabe? When was the last time you ate chicken? I had get a shake from there now and again. And Did you say I there. had get a shake there? Okay, we got to go. <laughs> I got a shake from Chick-fil-A now and again. And every now and again, I like their chick, their, uh, not the chicken, their uh, waffle fries. I, I think you're, I think Gabe's telling on himself. I think Gabe's been eating chicken. I think we just got an unpunk, an unpunk Gabe segment without even asking for one. Unpunk Gabe, unpunk Gabe, unpunk, unpunk, unpunk Gabe. Unpunk, unpunk, unpunk Gabe. Chick-fil-A? Uh, yeah. I call it Chickophilia. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that sounds like it. Yeah, that's it. Now you can we, go, all, can we all go now, it. or are we just dismissing Mike? Just dismissing Mike. All right. Bye, bye Mike. I love you all. Quite bye. got her point. See ya. Love you, too. <clears throat> and you're a, you're a tattling bitch. I didn't say Running anything. off to your friend. He Guess heard what? the episode. Guess what Scott said about we you. Left, we left all that in. Uh, nothing to do with me. Uh, you know, I, I, keep, I keep wondering if I'm going to hear it from somebody. If I'm going to be at a bar and someone's like, hey, dickhead, I work at Reckless. <laughs> yeah. hey, hey, dickhead, I was in E-Trope. What the fuck? <laughs> What, what, you just moved to Chicago? You don't understand how taxes work, asshole? No, I don't. Hey, everybody, it's Bobby Talman. Bobby. Hey, guys. How you doing? Good, man. Good to see you, Scott and Gabe and Ben. Good to see you, all three of you. Good, Good to see thanks, you. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for doing it. Uh, have you been shooting anything this week? Uh, no, no. It was last week. I was with uh, Brittany Howard. For a couple of days at Talia Hall. Oh yeah. Then I'm laying low for uh, the ministry, doing a bunch of stuff with them, and um, Gary Newman and Frontline Assembly for Cold Waves, that kind of thing. Now you've shot a lot of stuff with Gary Newman, right? Oh my God, yeah, way back to Telecon actually when uh, that tour came. I think it was the Granada in Chicago. I can't okay. remember. The Granada used to be at Sheridan over there at the Loyola campus. There wasn't very many shows there at the time, but they had that show there. I think it's interesting about Gary Newman that people who just sort of know cars or whatever have no idea what an amazing live performer he is, right? He doesn't really have that reputation outside of his sort of cult, but he is amazing no, on stage, yeah. isn't he? Yeah, for the synths and how it's laid out, yeah. But his all his dance moves and stuff, like all the stuff he does with his body, like you don't expect that from him, but it's great. No, he's a performer. He was kind of out for a while, and then he came back, and he hasn't gone away. He doesn't show any signs of going away. Nah, he's he's pivoted to industrial, too, which is kind of cool. So his music's gotten kind of dark, and he's got live drums, obviously, and a full band. And even right. when you hear cars, it doesn't sound like the same as back then. It's not keyboard-laden. It's like heavy. If Imagine Nine Inch Nails taking over the song Cars, kind of in your angst face. Right. You know? But Scott and I wind up, wind up talking about hair pieces a lot on this show. And he's, he's definitely got one of the all-time oh, yeah. things on his head these days. Seems like you've done a lot of stuff with uh, uh, 
industrial stuff? Wax tracks? Yeah, back in wax tracks. That's how I got my start. Yeah, yeah. 1982. Yeah. Really, 1982? 1982, yeah. Steve Silver, from, familiar with him? He used to be the doorman at Exit. Right. You know, and that was the guy that would harass me and say that, you know, they get your ass back to Chicago. You know, wax tracks is looking for a photographer, even though they're really not looking for a photographer. But, you know, there, there was no rhyme and reason with wax tracks back then. It was all fly by the seat of your pants, the label, the owners, the works, let alone who's working behind the counter. But uh, I would just show up constantly every day. I was showing up literally for any kind of event or just to hang around and uh, investigate more than anything. The second floor along with the first. And that's where the light bulb came off as far as working with wax tracks and the industrial bands. But seeing Melody Maker and NME and oh, my God, it's like. The light bulb was 85, realistically, to expand that whole thing because I couldn't compete with the Paul Natkins, nor did I wish to. Uh, the established photographers were photographing all the big bands, but how about this underground that's so cool? Right. So uh, Jesus and the Mary Chain was on the cover of uh, both Enemy and Melody Maker the same week for that uh, Psycho Candy. Uh-huh. You know, and they look, they, they, look, they look like the cure, like picking, you know, big hair, the work yeah. is like... What the fuck is this underground? And, you know, lo and behold, they come to the Metro and I make the arrangements. And I'm the only photographer there. I'm like, how is how can this be? This mm-hmm. band's on the cover of UK publication. So it's like, all right, well, stick with this path, Talaman. Do your shit. So, you know, next week would be like Wolfgang Press. The following week on the cover would be like Curve, uh, Susan the Banshees, all the darks, Nick Cave, blah, blah, down the line. And I was always at it. I'd really? Really? They were getting used to me as far as what was in that publication. And then the UK is six months ahead of the the US. Right. So by the time the tour would start, it was always small venues. The Metro, Medusa's, Park West, uh, anything that was like that, I don't know, 500 to 1600 capacity-ish kind of thing. And it just built up from there. And then that's how Alternative Press found me and B-Side Magazine and Spin. And then along with that, Wax tracks itself, you know, was starting to get enmeshed as far as the frontline assemblies, all the offshoots of ministry, revolting cocks, the pale heads, the work. I was doing all that stuff as far as photography, you know. I was working like six days a week with that stuff back back before digital. <laughs> right. So you grew up in Chicago. Grew up in the shore, upshore, Lincolnshire, actually. Went to okay. Stevenson High School. But technically, when I was at Wax Tracks at the time working, it was I was in Northbrook with my mother. What are you listening to as a kid? Like, what, what kind of music? Is it just what everybody else Gro- is I mean, growing to? up when I was in high school, the yeah. work. So, cheap, cheap Trick, you know, that, mm-hmm. was big, that was a big deal back then. I loved, adored that band from the get-go. But, yeah, the metal stuff. It would be also Deep Purple. I was really into Machine Head at the time. I thought that was an extraordinary album. Yeah. Uh, my sister's record collection was also really equally cool. They had Laura, Neal, Laura Nero into Leonard Cohen into Joni Mitchell, all the hippie flower child kind of stuff, which I totally adored. And then The Who, of course. That was, that was a sieve, man. I was listening to all that stuff or trying to soak it in. And I was actually seeking my cameras into the shows when they would come to town. The amphitheater, the International Amphitheater in particular, but you know, I have all this cool photography back then, but it's all like a blurry, right. fucked up mess because I didn't know what the f I was doing, you know. <laughs> but still, I was. I grew up with all that. I was a music guy first, Scott. Before I really got into photography, music always is first, then the band follows. You know. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. What came first? But it was music. Music, it's still to this day. That's why there's a shitload of cool bands out there that, again, are like my days at Wax Tracks. I'm the, like the only photographer showing up for this cool band. How is that possible? 
I don't, it, people just, I don't know. It, I, I can see where some photographers think it's the business and they got to go for the, you know, like the bad bunnies now and to the Megan the Stallions and to whatever. I'm just that, you know what? My heart's not into that. Just not into it. Right. If I can't dig your music, why well, don't want to be there and suffer for three hours? <laughs> Fuck that. I'd rather go to the small show and stuff. Right. Yeah. What was the first band that you shot that you that when you were sneaking cameras in? Led Zeppelin. Really? The physical, the physical graffiti tour in 1975. Come on, yeah. really? <laughs> but yeah, I was watching the photographer who was their tour photographer, Neil Preston. And uh, he's uh-huh. been my idol ever since. And that guy, the exact opposite of me, attache case, three camera bodies, six lenses, 30 rolls of film. And here I am with a, a cheap-ass Honeywell Pentax, one lens, <laughs> Uh, Four rolls of film, and you know these are Zeppelin songs that are sometimes eight minutes in length. And guess what? Song two, I'm out of film. Right. What, the, what the fuck is going on here? So I was watching him and taking notes, like oh, Neil Preston. This is the guy. You got to find your angle. You know, more watching him than watching Robert Plant and Jimmy up front. But you know, <laughs> but it's right. an era. Who 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 to ask? There's no rhyme. I don't know. As far as music photography, I'm it's a slippery slope as far as question and answer with these guys. We know you you would go up to Neil Preston and ask. And what would be the response? Fuck you. Figure right. it out. The same with Paul Nankin. I don't have to get the fuck. Unless you're a cute girl. Then, oh, come here. I'll talk to you. <laughs> so he never gave you any advice? No. It's all mistakes, which is good, though. I think mistakes are good. I know what to do the next time I'm at a show. I'm not going to make the same mistake again. You know. When you look at your feed on Facebook, you seem more knowledgeable about music than the average music photographer. You know, you'll post a photo and, like, a shit ton of words to accompany the shot, you know, like you've had a, you, you look at one of your shots and you can see that you've had a real history with that. It's thanks for saying that, Scott. I get that. I get that comment a lot uh, as far as the positive. And I owe that to the Greg Cotton, Jim DeRogatis back in the day, the Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert of rock criticism in Chicago. Yeah. Both of them. Yeah, they could, they could punish themselves even back then as far as the writing, but they were both into it as far as, Short, sweet, concise, but informative, you know, and then expanding from there with John Perellis in New York and Robert Christigal. There's a ton of and I was just like a sieve with that as far as cool writing and how to edit. Even now, I I cringe. Sometimes I like with Jaws Coleman recently had a birthday yesterday and I'm it's three paragraphs long. Who's going to read all that? But, you know. That guy is pivotal, in my opinion, as far as killing joke. And I don't know. Yeah. But still, I'm trying to I think of that, Scott, all the time. It's how do I don't bore people? You know, the photography is decent, but don't bore people with the writing. Keep and I, Jim and Greg are always in my head when I'm writing. It's like, what would they do if they saw this? Would they cringe? <laughs> 1982, you're in with the Wax Tracks people or trying to get in with the Wax Tracks people. People mm-hmm. start recognizing you at these Correct. shows. And uh, you know, when when you go pro, quote unquote pro, I mean, what what do you remember as the first band that you shot that you were like, wow, I'm I could do this, I I can be call myself a professional. Skinny Puppy. Oh yeah. Um, yeah, at the Metro, I think it was the Vivisec tour, and that was intense. But this, they're theatrical. Even back then, it was like do or die as far as their message in a different way than Killing Joke, but still the same. And it was like their message as far as environmental, medical, the world in nature, let alone the visual. I tried the main floor. It was awful. I never, and again, the Metro. The, here's the thing about the Metro back in the day. That curfew didn't really exist. <laughs> I right. mean, so... 
I think doors were usually 10, shows at midnight, opening band, and maybe one o'clock Skinny Puppy will go on the stage, 1 a.m., <laughs> you know, and yeah. play till 3 and whatever. But I learned that, you know, with these kind of industrial shows, if there's no barricade, uh, do yourself a favor. You could probably get a good angle from that gorgeous balcony. So right. I learned, and that's how I – and I sent those images because this, I think – what they love Chicago because of wax tracks. I think the Vivisec tour was kind of close to starting there on that, on that 36 dates or whatever. So on a whim, I sent the photos to uh, Norman Wonderly of uh, alternative press. Next thing I know he wants, he needs them ASAP. These right. shots are so good. And because of that, it, catapulted and that's where the Sandy Davis and I forget the other Sandy Garcia of B side similar that kind of publication that was into the underground and alternative and indie and industrial in particular. And they're like, they saw those and Hey, we need this. Can you, so I would have, I would go in with 10 rolls of film and I wouldn't copy both, both publications. I'd give them separate, but it just kept building from there, man. Cause no one was shooting that stuff. Everyone mm -hmm. was shooting the more popular, the Madonnas, the Springsteens, the Princes. Not that that's bad, right. but all that underground and un that kind of indie underground stuff is in my heart, man. And it's cool, cool stuff. Right, but, but yeah. you you didn't stay there forever. You started. No, you, no, no. Oh, yeah, I've worked with the big bands too. Correct, the Depeche yeah. Modes. I was on tour with them for Violator, I think, back then. Because again, their publicist was into that dark. And again, Anton Corbin is the photographer. If anyone doesn't know, for all the post photography and all the album covers of Depeche. Okay, cool. He's really not a live photographer though. My trick was how do I take those gorgeous pose shots and make that into live you know, uh -huh. with that band? Right. So again, I was like always thinking of Anton and how I can make this these super dark contrasty moody because the band Depasha mode back then were moody you right. know make these cool shots so yeah i would work with them nine inch nails in particular too and it pivoted like to roger waters on the wall of all things i was on the road touring with him for like 60 dates for that that huge mega tour you know so the, yeah, on I, the wall one where is roger waters in the wall Correct. Water drops on the wall. And I was like, here, it's another case in point, because um, I know his son, who was doing the keyboard work since Rick Wright wasn't in that band anymore. And it was right. Harry Waters. And Harry said, we got to get this guy into the UK and five dates at the uh, OVO. What's it? The O2 Arena. Excuse me. O2. O2, right. In East London. And uh, there's David Gilmore at the top of the wall for Comfortably Numb with the electric black strat. Okay. So what year and is this? Two. What year is 2011? this? 2011? Was that 2011. Yeah. David Gilmore and Roger Waters were talking to each other at that point? Not at all. That, that animosity from the final cut, I think, was that right. when things all broke yeah. loose as far as the FUs between the two of them? Sure. And who, who had ownership of the name? And yeah. Rod, yeah. But the thing was, it's that's Polly Gilmore who kind of made fences between the two. And uh, Polly Gilmore, it was, this is about a year before the wall hit there. She was involved with a benefit concert for Alzheimer's, I think. And David Gilmore was going to do an acoustic set. And Polly said, why don't we get Roger to play an acoustic song with you just to see if we can mend this animosity. Roger said he would do it if on the wall tour, David would reciprocate and play comfortably numb from the top of the wall. And the, uh. that was a, there was a secret between the two of them and Polly, I guess. And that was it. So the five, you know, everyone, when that tour was announced in the, in North America, everyone thought, you know, it started in Toronto with dress rehearsals. Then it came to Chicago. Well, that's why the dates were selling out. David's going to come here and play that song. Never happened in the States. Me, I made inroads with 
uh, Roger's son, Harry, that, you know, uh, you know what, my gut opinion, since David lives and breathes in the UK, it's going to happen there. And I asked for all five dates, which was an, an unusual request. Most photographers are in the first day and then you're gone. Why do you want five dates with Roger Waters at the uh, O2, like really stern kind of capital lettered email? I'm going, well, I think it's probably the most important part of this tour is the, I didn't want to mention David Gilmer at right. all. I just assumed right. it was going to happen. He goes, I'll make it work. And their opening night, there's 60 photographers approved. No David Gilmer. Mm -hmm. so, the second night, I'm there. One photographer, it was me and David Gilmer at the top of the wall. <laughs> the only photographer approved to shoot the thing. So why were you the only one there? Because it's night number two, no, no approvals. Again, they, they, the only reason why that this became unusual is because Roger and David kept it under wraps as far as what day of the five dates David would appear. Right. If it wasn't, now there's four more dates left and no one really knows. But right. I had made that request in advance, so I got it. I almost didn't get the shot, though. It was just so panic-stricken because it, <laughs> <laughs> it's a 35-foot-high wall. Right. It's 260 feet wide, the width of the, of the venue. How, how do you get – and Roger's a tall guy. He's actually like six foot three or six, six foot – he's just a tall guy. How, how do I get him in and David at the top? So I, you can't do it from the pit. <laughs> I ran all the way back to the soundboard to get what's it think out it's a long Prague song. It's like what, eight minutes long? Ran it, all what, the way back. Live. Live it is. <laughs> yeah, live it is correct. But I went all the way to the back and that's how I got the shots. And it, they but that photo paid my mortgage for like two years as far as everyone running it, since <laughs> I was the only photographer there for the night for night number two. But you knew. You knew. knew. You had a hunch. I knew. And I yeah. didn't want to spill the beans. I just, my gut said that this is it. This is, it's going to be here. If it's going to happen anywhere where David appears, it's going to be in London. Lo and behold, it happened. Well, isn't there usually a rule that you can only shoot the first three songs? Again, I, this is a Harry Waters question. And, you know, Bobby had already done a ton of work and is in the tour guide, the concert, you name it. I was doing a ton of promotion and I knew what I was doing because it's a theatrical production. In other uh, words, the set list wasn't like uh, Rolling Stones were going right. to mix in six different songs during this show. Right. It's, you know, the wall is the wall. It's right. a, it's, it's like no different than going into seeing a, a Hamilton, I suppose, you know, and that, there's a protocol with that, similar sure. to that. Sure. Well, now let me ask you this. Did you then stick around for the, the next three shows and keep shooting? Oh, yeah. Or? Yeah, I did. I did. Although I felt my work was done, but yeah. no, that you know, <laughs> that's just it was a. You know what, guys? Here's the thing: the David the, back in that day when that split happened, Roger was a dick. You know, again, <laughs> taking them to court about the Pink Floyd name and bashing yeah. them all to the no end. And David was the guy who rose above, technically. And uh -huh. <laughs> when that all got settled, you would think that that would have been maintained. I don't know what happened with Roger, but I think he found some he found some empathy with how he handled himself. He thought he did, he had fucked this up really bad. Mm -hmm. I have a shot of that's really just an emotional kind of shot of Roger at Soundcheck at Toronto with the dress rehearsal. And he's got the microphone in his pocket, and he's looking at the wall, and he's smiling. He, he's walking towards my camera along the stage to the end of the wall, and he's looking up. He's looking at the, like, the magnificence of that and the beauty of the music. And, you know, I captured that, like 20 shots of that. It, it would be unbeknownst. If someone asked me what's one of my favorite photographs of all time, it's that. Seeing, yeah. Roger, seeing Roger not like what people think he is. He's actually a cool 
informative and a sweetheart of a guy. He's not a dick. So yeah. here's the thing where it really gets Well, I think you could possibly be both. Yeah, it, correct. Well, true. Yeah. I'm not in his yeah. life 24-7. Yeah. That's an excellent point. But at the end of the show, this, the, the wall is all down. Out comes Nick Mason. Out comes David Gilmore to play uh, outside of the wall. And at the end, Roger's got his arm around David and is whispering in his ear. And I'm photographing this whole thing. And now David, talk about a dick. It's David Gilmore who's being a dick. Like that arm around from Roger's like a, a radiation from Chernobyl kind of. Right. Like, oh, like, yeah. yeah, yeah you see he holds a grudge. Just, he holds a grudge more than yeah. Roger does. Correct. Yeah. yeah. But it was cool documenting that whole thing and not having to believe in what the press is saying. I'm seeing it firsthand and how screwed up the band is as far as these two guys. You know. Right. <laughs> I mean, who else have you had a long history with? Uh, Peter Gabriel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, from so actually forward. Yeah. Wow. How yeah. did that happen? Again, I, I think I didn't inquire. They, they're hard to how do i put this i'm a black and white photographer mm-hmm. i do shoot color but i like again it's anti-carbian is in my head i went super rich dark contrasty and back then he was pivoting from i don't know his dark stuff to his to more poppy but he still liked yeah. that and i think his publicist was interested in how i had captured some of peter's favorite performers similar and that's why i got hired up to do that forward you know so yeah i've done six tours i think with him maybe more maybe seven i can't remember but there was a tour that came to chicago with growing up where it was in the round at the united mm-hmm. center and that that pivoted that was pivotal equal to the wall in the uk as far as the here's the thing we're in chicago very rare do tours start of that size in chicago they're either new york with kevin mazer who's the famous fire photographer for wire image or on the west coast working their way east, and that would be Niels Lauzauer and Ross Halfin and those guys. Right. Chicago, we're like date 16 or 17. We're, how are my photos going to help since everyone's already, you know, I'm not going to fly out to New York for every show. I can't mm. afford to do that. I got to wait. I have my outlets. My photos will sell, but still, tours don't start here. But that tour did. For four nights at the United Center, it did. And I was there for all four, and everyone used those photos. I don't know. I mean, when you're out with, like, say, like, you're out with Peter Gabriel, and, and you're out with him so many times, does he start to give you feedback on, like... I, I really don't talk to him. Okay. It's yeah. like, basically, his handlers that say, we, this is the guy, and he accepts it. I mean, I would get the approval that Peter likes. They would come back to be Peter likes these photos and stuff. Yeah. Right. And then I would know. But I met him once. And it was an awkward situation was that no strings attached to her, the scratch your back. It opened up at Bell Center. And I got I, that's the show I did fly out to because the band or the publicist wanted me at that thing. But I'm thinking this is orchestral. I, that was a panic stricken flight from Chicago to Montreal as far as me and handling that. Uh-huh. 36 members of an orchestra, no electric. It's like going to the orchestra hall. Do you want to hear a Nikon blasting off if you spent $175 on a oh, ticket? Yeah. That yeah, whole yeah. flight, I'm, I'm panic-stricken. I'm, in a, I'm making enemies more than I am making friends at this thing. So I settled into the, uh, the Marriott, and it literally is a block away from the Bell Center. I go there, um, and I have this question. 
how are we this we have to figure out something where i'm not going to be annoying the people that bought this opening night thing right and the road manager goes that's not my decision it's peter's decision i go well where's where's peter he goes at the starbucks across the street i'm going come again Pete, he went, read my lips dude i don't have the time for you Peter is at the Starbucks across the street. Go ask him about where you're. I don't have time for this. Right. So I'm leaving the venue like this. This, uh, this is this can't be. I don't. Uh, what the? So I come up, and lo and behold, he is sitting there alone, looking at the Bell Center, having a latte, and there's the uh, there's the goatee and the hoodie. I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, your photographer for tonight, Bobby uh, Bobby Talman from Chicago. He's going, Bobby. Bobby from Chicago, I go, yeah. yeah. Can you do me a favor? I go, anything, what? For the next uh, couple minutes, can you just sit here and just shut the fuck up? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So uh, <laughs> I'm sitting there. What's Peter observing? This is opening night in, a- in March or April. And uh, Montreal Canadiens, that's their venue. It's the right. uh, first game of the playoffs and it's away. But there's a major bar at the Bell Center where – these are fanatical fans. It's one of the original eight hockey teams, right? So uh, the line for that is like to infinity west of the venue down the street. That, that Peter sees that and thinks that that's kind of funny. But what's also funny is there, in between the bar that's attached to the venue is Loden and then the arena. And the Loden width is like welcome to Montreal old school. It's maybe a little bit more than the width of my arms. Uh-huh. <laughs> How do you get a semi into that? But there's two competing radio stations setting up shop on opposite ends of the alley. And the PA is like 10 feet, 11 feet, 13 feet. And suddenly, this is what Peter, Peter's, watch, watch. <laughs> this, to, to the left, is Biko at like 13. Right. To the right is In Your Eyes at like 23 and they're like looking at each other these radio stations these programmers and they're like ha, 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 i got the better pa and peter goes <laughs> bobby even i don't play my music this fucking loud yeah <laughs> <laughs> and I, hey since it's loud peter can i ask this question about how you can handle a guy with a loud camera at a and he did he got me like four seats that no one would be around me where if i shoot i'm not going to annoy uh, fellow oh. patrons and uh, get the full orchestra. Well, I mean, it was probably the orchestra was probably louder than usual orchestras, right? I mean, no, but like there's were... delicateness. I mean, they want the whole show shot. This is not a three song thing. This is the whole thing. So there are quiet songs like Heroes. That's what he opened up with, I think, from you know David. Right. Bowie. Yeah. But it that's a slow build kind of song with the lyric right. before you get up to the Robert Fripp part. It's like you know, and it's like. And it's the opening part of the song. So, again, that's why I was thinking of how do I handle this without people that spent this amount of money on the show? I mean, I got to be respectful, you know. So, yeah, plus it gets the whole thing. I get the whole orchestra, the the conductor, along with Peter in front. It was like, so it worked out as far as just the majestic nature of a. But that's the kind of shit you're up against with being a photographer is the visual of that stuff. Right. I think Gabe probably would have uh, wrapped his camera in toilet paper, right? Is that what you usually do? <laughs> toilet paper. I, I had a little stupid throwaway camera. I didn't have a real camera in there. You got any shots that uh, you liked there, Gabe? We were talking before we came on that the, the shot that I didn't realize that he shot, uh, I'm not sure where it was, but it was you and Ryan. And Ryan's got his hat almost covering his eyes and he's kind right. of staring at you. 
That's the, JBTV. That's JBTV, yeah. It was Soundtrack, and Scott and uh, Ryan were there for um, Strange 90s, I think, the tribute to Jerry. That could have been it, it yeah. Either that or was that you did um, – you, here's a cool thing about you, Scott, was um, I think it was Uber or Lyft. You had – you were hired to do um, the music for their Christmas party, I think. I was. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, again, it's a packed house. It's local H blasting away. And then halfway through, what does Scott do? He's taking requests from the crowd. Off the, you know what? Not to blow smoke up your butt, but I had to put. I was amazed at that. How <laughs> they could throw out requests. You'd go to Ryan. You'd work out the beat, and you'd play it like you were practicing it for weeks. Yeah, unbelievable. I was getting Jerry and go. Do you believe this guy? That how do you? How do you? How do you, you? Can't teach that. It's in your gut. Is what I said to Jerry. He goes. That's why I love him. That's why yeah. I love these guys. That's why I love Scott. Local H are light. They could, you know, he, Jerry. When you hear something like that, is now can go off the deep end. I, yeah. I could have yeah. local H every day of the week, and every show would be different. If I could photograph, you know, above, if I could videography <laughs> JBTV for the rest of my life every day, right. it would be something uniquely different than the day before. And I'm like, you know, wow, he's 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 actually right. Well, here's and what he, Jerry usually <laughs> says to me. He says, uh, "Could you sit here for the next few minutes and shut the fuck up?" <laughs> Look, you know, both of you guys are the same. You That's know, what he you, says to me, you can talk about stuff, and, and music will enter the picture eventually. But you know, there's so much shit going on. You, you guys can talk about anything. Oh, yeah. oh Jerry, Jerry's got more energy than all of us. <laughs> yeah, man, love working for that guy. The best. Yeah. How long have you been doing that? Oh my God, I don't know, twenty years, I think, give or take. How'd you meet him? Oh, I know him forever. I was I bumped into him with Jeff Buckley at the Metro. I was involved with that, and that's how I got to meet him. And then Smashing Pumpkins too. I was doing peripheral stuff because Leroy Fields uh, was involved with JBTV, and I would get invited from him to suit these kind of shows too, or Radiohead's first show at the Metro, that kind right. of thing. And slowly over time, I didn't want to bug him back then. He was huge, but over time you just get to. It, Chicago is a big town, but Chicago is also kind of a small town as far as music. You just right. get to know just relationships, human relationships and people and showing up and just doing your thing and be cool and don't be an asshole, blah, right. blah, blah. And eventually, you know, relationships form and Leroy goes, we need a photographer for the studio. I can't remember the band. Uh, I, I mean, it was I Scintilla or something, Walter Flack, so stabbing westward. I don't know what it was, but right. still, that's how I, then Jerry, next thing you know, Jerry goes, oh, this guy's good. Leroy's right. Let's keep him. So I've been working with Jerry ever since, you know. What's the next move over there? You know? uh, we're, again, we're in his, I think you've been there in his two-bedroom studio now over at Grand. But okay. Preston Bradley Center, um, Jerry, this is a brand new, well, it's an old school church venue that's lo located two blocks east of the Aragon. So the goal is to pivot to there, hopefully by, I don't know, maybe the summer or fall of 2024 and make JBTV the way it was in regards to the unique nature of the Preston Bradley Center is we have access to these bands that don't have to travel across town now. You can, yeah. even, you can roll your, your roadie boxes, you know, the two blocks east and plunk yourself in. It doesn't have to be the headliners either. And these opening acts is what Jerry loves anyway, and so do I. So yeah. up and coming bands would probably kill it the chance to spend a couple hours with Jerry and do a small performance, kind of like the old days. Pretty smart. Yeah. Would you have been? I was looking at pictures from um, Riot Fest 2013. You've got Peter Hook, 
Pixies oh, and the replacements. Yeah. That was a that was one day. I I didn't remember the Pixies were the same day as replacements and yeah yeah. Uh, that was again. You know, of all the festivals, they book awesome. No offense, yeah. but every year there's always at least you know, unlike no offense to Lala. I mean, I I love doing that too, but it's like, do I know all these bands? Hell no. No. I have to investigate a shitload before I go in with Riot Fest. It's like oh oh. Ooh, ooh, boom, boom. So now the only question, you know, James Van Ossel had this question with him. What's with this fucking overlap? God damn. Is there, is there a way to make an automaton of us where we can be at two places at once to see this and that? And I bring it up because Killing Joke, <laughs> we're right. playing on the right uh, with the smaller stage. And who's on the main stage? Elvis Costello. Like uh-huh. literally at the same time. Motherfucker. And Elvis Costello had cancer. And this is his first show in like ages. And like you're torn. Your favorite band of all time is playing here. And do you leave after the three? Do you leave before the three? So- oh, my God. I did. Two songs into Killing Joke. I'm now flying by the seat of my pants to at least get one oh, man. song of Elvis Costello. But that's the beauty of that festival, man. It's like overwhelming how cool it is. The bookings from top to bottom. But yeah, yeah that, it seems like they're being kind of mean sometimes, but uh, they cruel. swear they're not. Yeah. yeah, they swear they're not, but it is cruel. Right. It's cruel. Here, can yeah. I give you another case of point that's totally sure. goofy? Corey yeah. Feldman last year. Oh, my God. What a head piece, a head case. Excuse <laughs> yeah. me. This guy. Yeah. You know, there's an email that goes out. Corey is not talking to the press, nor will he go into the press area at all. So lay off. Okay. Right. So who's the first guy on that Sunday or Saturday to come in into the press and want to talk? Corey of Feldman. Course. <laughs> with his handlers and he sits at our table i'm there with jake barlow of cbs and a couple others because it's the first table that looks chill in that whole press area and he sits and he's he's upset because he's going on in two hours and he has a bright led screen that's not working like mm-hmm. it's not working at all it's an inflatable led screen that now is like stagnant but he'll he'll talk so he's talking to Jake, and he's getting more upset as far as uh, he did an interview with Jake Barlow and blah, 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 blah. And now he's looking at his guy, did you guys fix it yet? I gave you 20 minutes to do these interviews. Is the LED screen fixed yet? And the guy, his main guy goes, no, unfortunately it's not. God, then I was, Corey is like, this is fucked up. Came all the way out from the West Coast for this show, and my LED screen is. And he's down. I'm looking at him. I'm like, hey, Corey, can I interject here for a second? You strike me as the kind of guy that's a problem solver, a problem <laughs> solver. If it's something that's a connection that goes into a battery, into a generator, you're going to figure it out. He goes, who are you? I go, Jake Barlow's best friend, Bobby Tolleman. How are you? He goes, cool. you want to do a shot? I go, sure, we'll do a post shot. So here's where it gets goofy. Lo and behold, it's not fixed. <laughs> that LED right. screen. And guess who's going on at the same time as him? Jenny Beth uh-huh. of... of uh, what was Savages, the lead singer back in the day of that brilliant girl band? I didn't know she was going out by herself. Yeah, solo. Brilliant oh. stuff, by the way. Okay. Uh, Atticus Ross from Nine Inch Nails had done a lot of production and programming for her. So it's all this, it's like an industrial kind of post-punk, but with a female vocal. Really, right. really cool. But anyway, I hear her off in the distance, and I'm stuck here with Corey Feldman and a non-working LED inflatable, and it's eating up 15 minutes of his set because they still can't get the thing to work. He right. says, screw it. So now he figures, all right, I'm just going to adapt it. He should have done this from the, from the beginning, right. but he did. So here now he's getting his shit together, and I had to run my ass off to get the last song of Jenny Beth in the crowd 
mixing it up with the she, she's the kind of girl that just COVID be damned. I don't care if I get it. I'm in your face. Oh, yeah. She <laughs> walks on the crowd. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. She yeah. comes out there holding the microphone up. It's, you know, it's, it's like 30 feet of microphone. And she's, yeah. but that's like, that's my problem with overlap at Riot Fest. I should have just, I should have bailed on Corey Feldman. Yeah. Never make friends with Corey Feldman. <laughs> never Rule make number one. <laughs> you should know this. <laughs> but yeah, whatever. It's yeah. That year of Riot Fest, uh, uh, ben was insane as far as Peter Hook and how tight he was. The old big Viking base and yeah, uh, love that. Have you shot Peter at Metro? Oh yeah, quite a few times actually. Always a good good event. And that's with his son too, I think, who plays uh, bass as well. They they trade off on bass and guitar and stuff. But yeah, it's really tight. Too bad about the animosity with New Order and him because he, in my opinion, that sound is undeniably oh. Yeah. yeah, new 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 order is like one of my all time favorite bands all time. And power corruption and lies. If someone was to ask me what's my what's one major desert island disc, it's certainly that. You know, have you shot New Order post Peter Hook? Yes, uh, New Order is actually not bad. That bass player sounds like Peter, but it's not Peter. You know, but right. yeah, they play the Aragon Ballroom or the Chicago Theater. But yeah, and they actually played Riot Fest the same time Nine Inch Nails was uh, headlining. So it was kind of cool seeing them into Nine Inch Nails. And they're still tight. They, that sound is undeniable, even for live, even without Peter. It's like, you know. It's Would you cool say it's thing. disco, though? Do they play the dance, you mean? Uh, that's, you know, some of their stuff is. Di- oh, you wouldn't I see. say it's disco music, would you? I no, mean, only but a moron would call New Order a disco band. Correct. But let's okay. say the stuff that came out after, you know, uh, I forget this. The album with the Life Preserver on the cover. Yeah, this stuff. You know, they started getting softer by then. Anyway, more of that disco but if, dance. But if New Order was playing one gig in town, and Peter Hook and the Light or whatever his band is playing the other one, which one are you going to go to? Oh, I don't know. That's it. I would probably act like I'm acting with Corey Feldman and Jenny Beth. How can I do both? <laughs> How can I get you, the both? You know, there are people who say that that Corey Feldman, <laughs> all that Corey Feldman stuff, is an act. That that's all sort of pre-planned shtick with him. What, well, he's, he's doing... not that stupid? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that could be true, but it seems like it was just a complete waste of time. Why not play songs instead of standing around looking at a blank LED screen in the middle of the... Why is it even there? He's playing during the song. Who, who can... Let's, right. let's hypothetically... Saying, but like that let's stuff... hypothetically think that that motherfucking LED screen was workable at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in the sun. Who's going to see it? It's facing right. west. That's yeah. what I'm saying. It's so stupid <laughs> that it almost feels like it has to be deliberate. And like every tour stop, there's something like that going on. So at a certain point, I don't like, know. But the other awkward thing was all the Michael Jackson moves. Oh my yeah. God, it's embarrassing. What? But it's like, again, I've never seen so many body surfers. There were body surfers on top of body surfers for all this lame, mellow, like yeah. that they wanted to be known for body surfing to Corey Feldman. It was yeah. packed. It was packed for that set. Oh, weird. I left there. I wanted to take a shower. I felt so like, oh, this is... Yeah, I saw them do a wall of death to the village people, so you don't know what those cats are into these days. Speaking of desert islands, Gabe? Desert islands. Oh, this is going to be a good one. I see that you have some pictures of Iron Maiden here. I was going to ask about those, but that's all right. We're going to get to the question that we ask all our guests. If you had to choose between two bands, and you can only listen to one of them on a deserted island, between Iron Maiden... Or the replacements, who would you pick? 
Oh, the replacements. No offense. <laughs> the metal is okay, but I, but come on. That it, early, you know, here's the thing about that band and Paul in particular. Mm-hmm. They had a lot of issues and anger and mental breakdowns, and I live for that. I mean, yeah. it's not like I, maybe Iron Maiden had some of that, but it's like that's a more big business kind of thing where you have to get your shit together for the show. Yeah. It seemed to me that if Paul Westerberg and Tommy had issues, it comes out on the stage and they're going to eat each other up. Right. That, I, boy, replacements times 10. No offense, Iron Maiden. <laughs> <laughs> So you don't want to talk about Iron Maiden anymore now, Gabe? <laughs> uh, it looks like you got some pictures of both of them on your site there, so I, I don't know. No, they put on a good show, but you, you know, I, I've seen the Beast. Do I need to photograph the Beast again? I, I... Keep hitting him. Keep hitting him, Bobby. Come on, keep going. <laughs> Look, no offense to Gene Ambo. I totally agree that he's the metal guru photographer, but I, I'm he not. And I see this post, man. He's all into the... You'll right. die with that stuff. And, you know, I don't want uh, this is you guys sound... have a relationship. You and Gene? yeah, yeah, it was with the Jolly's Christmas party. And Gene and I chatted it up with Jerry for like a good half hour. And, that, and seeing Gene without a camera and be himself. I love that version of Gene, you know. Yeah, he's a, actually a cool, informative and sweetheart of the guy. But, you know, the metal part of him. Look, and this is not too. I, I I don't want to be known for that. I mean, yeah. do I love metal? Yeah, but do I love local H equal? Yeah, I mean, do <laughs> or do I love this sensitive stuff? Even the Britney Spears to some extent back in the day when that I have mal, wardrobe malfunctions times twenty in my vault. Right. But still, I. I, I, you know, anyone that puts out good music or EDM here, this is something that would probably turn them off is the dead mouses into the, into the Tiestos, into the Calvin Harris's. Those are heavy duty productions. If you've never been, I mean, EDM right. in general, if done well is equal in my opinion to any other kind of music. Cause it's created by a soul guy, whatever. Sure. But uh, yeah, I want to be known for, I, I want to be known as a music photographer, not like a metal photographer or an indie photographer music. I come on. It's like a, Music first, photography second, man. I if you put out some good, cool stuff, even if you're country, like Chris mm. Stapleton, I'm your fan, dude. I'm, yeah, it's something that's heartfelt and just sincere, dude. I'm like, let's get involved one way or the other. Well, what was the last band that you photographed that you didn't know anything about, and you were like, oh, this is great. Opening opening bands in particular have a tendency to be like that, where they have now a shorter set, nine songs, and Pixel Grip, uh, local, but they're like mm-hmm. um, ED, it, EBM, electronic body music. For like, yeah, okay. you know, they what? have a synth guy, they have a drummer, and then they have the vocalist. Uh-huh. And that band, oh my lord, it's like they should be headlining, not opening. Yeah. They are that good. This was like five years ago, you know. Uh, uh, special interest is another one. Ali Logout, who's the lead singer of that. And here, I'll give you a case in point. Uh, Pitchfork, day right. three. And then, again, it's July. Oh, my God. It's got to be 110. Yeah. It's, you're baking in humidity. And I'm taking a nap in my car. I'd already done the sound check stuff and post stuff I needed. And I have, I have a VIP parking spot next to the stage where this band goes on at noon. I saw the schedule. I saw special interest. Had no fucking clue who they were. 10 seconds into that first song, I'm scrambling, like trying to get my camera gear together in my trunk and running, running. 
And it was like 60 people, but it was like a mosh pit that was insane. And how did Pitchfork know this? Who, all these wonderful questions, the booking, research, special interests are now my heroes. Who, and they're from New Orleans of all places. And how do they come up with this sound? Crazy, nutty. And it's like that to me, special interests shouldn't be opening Pitchfork. They should be headlining Pitchfork. Right, right. Like, you know, again, but I love that. It's always undercard stuff, Scott, that I find that bands I never, never know of, I, that are, wow, shock and awe. They can be, you know, they can be good. And watching them grow, you know, yeah. from that to headlining is the coolest thing. Yeah. Well, on the other, the flip side of that, who who is the band that you were really looking forward to shooting and the experience made you want to quit? Oh, too many to even name. But uh, back in the day, oh, Ned's Atomic Dustbin. Uh-huh. Boy, when they made the, they were, again, another Melody Maker enemy. Let's go put them on the cover kind of band. Yeah. And I, I went to the Riv all excited, and I was like, this is just not, what? Can you guys, maybe the third song, you'll get your shit together. Right. And yeah. no, the whole set was like a drag jury kind of thing, and it's not something uh yeah, yeah and you were really looking forward to that band oh yeah because that was the hype band of the time i think i don't know 95 maybe 96 that they were making inroads to kind yeah. of cool from the uk to the states but and the other headache that was hit or miss was sisters of mercy and the moody nature of andy eldritch and okay another guy who you know limits the amount of people that can be in his inner circle and the fog is so heavy <laughs> I mean that show at the Riv when he uh, when they were in their height of their powers, Floodland I think the album yeah. was, and uh, you could I from the photo pit ain't happening. It's just that wall of there was I don't know maybe eight fog machines going off above mm-hmm. below horizontal you name it and it's like I was scrambling around. By the time I got my shit together, the show was almost over. Where I got maybe out of ten rolls of film, six shots of Andrew looking kind of decent, you know. Yeah. But that was like, oh, why do you need what what the <laughs> what embarrassing, you know, embarrassing. Yeah. A lot of bands I can think of that were like, oh, Happy Mondays is another one. Boy, that oh, guy. Oh, come on. Really? <laughs> that guy but, could drink up a storm. I forget the guy who's the, the Sean. Sean. Yeah. Sean. And uh, he was like uh, Shane. Ryder. He was so hammered that he was looking to grab a microphone stand. And it, it's really it's like four feet to the left of him. But it's like he's seen double vision. It's like. Uh, and he gets yeah. in this one and he's throwing up on his shoes. This is song oh, number two. No. He's barfing all over the stage. But, yeah, but that's baked in the cake with that. But, yeah, but, that's... You know, yeah, but there's Bez. Bez, oh, is yeah. doing a, you know, Bez is doing the dance. Game Zero, Bez. <laughs> Bez Ooh. is like, Bez was just the, the what was Ben's, what was Bez's job besides dancing for Happy Mondays? I have no clue. He the, was that, just that, kind of like Manchester the hype man. Party. Yeah, yeah, he's the hype man. <laughs> Yeah, that's you, Gabe. You're Bez. He's the Better flavor flavor. He's the what? The flavor flavor. The flavor flavor. Okay. He's the comedic <laughs> relief. Okay. Yeah. Cool. But I hey, hear Bobby, not to what? Go ahead. How, how, do you, how do you feel doing your job now in this age of digital photography? Are there things you miss about the old photochemical days? Yeah, getting paid. <laughs> <laughs> it's tough. You know, uh, and back in the day, there was nothing like good black and white film that was like eye-popping cool. Digital is getting kind of mastering it with every new generation of cameras. Right. But it, it's the 80s and 90s before cell phones, guys, yeah. it was the best. That was a time that was like tribal club 
live and die music every day, 24 seven. There was no days off. I don't know. I like showing up and uncovering bands because I got that Jerry Bryant gene in me where, you know, and Greg Corner is another one who's I, I owe him a, a ton, too, because he's a guy that just loves uncovering cool music and support thereof, you know, and the, and you, too, Scott, the same kind of thing, man, because I know you guys are close. Yeah. Scary Lady Sarah is another one who uh, and oh, William yeah. Faith, her husband, those guys, again, they're when they promote stuff, I'm like in because I know my musical tastes are similar to them. And Greg, when he was the music, still is the music director. He would once we pivot to Preston Bradley Hill book, but he always books solid bands that again, like I would come up to Greg after these these intimate shows going, how did you, you know, do you ever sleep? <laughs> How do you uncover this stuff and find these these awesome awesome bands, dude? And he really, you know, it's like he gives me a hug and saying it's it's not like a secret, but he doesn't want to tell me. Like right. I live for music kind of thing, and I right, I, right. Want to, I don't want to bug him. But still, I love that kind of stuff, man. It's like ah, I I love that. I love the fact that nowadays I'm looking at this lit like if Scott and. And Ben and Gabriel asked me about bands, and I got like 600 bands here. Half of them are new, <laughs> wow. that are like that that deserve to be heard. You know, well, that close your so eyes good. and point to one, and and, and tell us <laughs> idols. about it. Idols. idols, okay. So totally adore th them. Those guys have got to be a lot of fun to shoot. A blast, and they're easy going. Why? Because they're blue collar. Mm -hmm. They're not fancy, famous, nor do they wish to be. They're tight. They are a band's band. No, Joe Talbot, the lead singer, obviously, yeah. he gets a lot of attention, but the, the whole band is like equal. And Joe lets people know that at his shows, how much he's a, he appreciates his best friend, the bass player behind him, and that drummer who's kicking ass, yeah. and my two, and our guitarists. And some, we, the, it, it's more we than I, I, I get the sense with, you right. know, with Joe. But seeing that band build, it's crazy. I, that, again, is just what, awesome. What was the first show that you shot of those guys? I had no clue about them at Lollapalooza. Right. That <laughs> Lollapalooza is, set was amazing. It was amazing. But, again, there was a two photographer. Again, there's a 30-photographer pool at Lala, and I don't get along with all of them, nor do they yeah. all get along with me. I can be a dick, and I apologize <laughs> in advance. But there are, there are two or three that I totally uh, trust their opinion. And Kurt Barron of the Illinois Entertainer is one where I've known him forever. And he will grab me by the collar saying, you are coming with me. You're not going right. to have lunch. You're not having this catered lunch. Al Idols is going on at 2.05 p.m. Fuck lunch. You are shooting this band. I'm like, okay, well, Kurt says it. And that band changed my life. That, that was one of the best live performances of that year of Lala was them. Unhinged. Oh, yeah. Unhinged. Unhinged. So good. That dust bowl of that. Again, this is a band that's volatile, obviously. So they split the, the that long runway out from the main stage. Yeah. You have a so there's two mosh pits. Right. You know. And that dust cloud, you couldn't from the back, you couldn't even see the band. It was just so chaotic, awesome. You know. Yeah. And it's just riveting. The whole set was like an in-your-face charge. And he was in the taxi driver floral short sleeve shirt. Like Joe right. came, like, came yeah. off the bus and this, this is me. But still, music first, photography second. And it shows. I mean, <laughs> I don't mean it like that. Am I chewing up all the time for this, guys? I'm no, <laughs> you're not. You're not. I'm just trying to think of how many different ways I can insult you. <laughs> Please feel free. Again, it's like walking into a den of vipers. And I need, yeah. I need the shame. I need to be brought back. Oh, yeah. No. Den, den no. of vipers with bad syntax. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> 
Well, well, what are some of your? Well, go ahead. Go ahead. No, what were you gonna say? I was gonna say just. You know, I've seen quite a few of these podcasts. What are your desert island discs if, if you had to? Uh... What? I mean, I always go back to the White Album. You know, it's 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 the it's the one. It's you don't really choice. need any other records. It covers the gamut, doesn't it? It's got all of it in there. It's an excellent choice. Thank you. What's yours? Mine, it's, again, it changes. Uh, lately, I've been back to old school listening to Procol Harum, the first album, 1967. Wow. Oh. Lighter Shade of Pale. Lighter Shade of Pale, yeah. That album in general with Matthew Fisher's Ham. I'm a Ham and B3. Hits me in the gut if you nice. it's done well. Kind of That just, oh, I, I live for that. That album brings me to tears. and I haven't yeah. heard it in a while, but it's like if I had to go now, it'd be that one, definitely. Wow, that's Although a Although it might change, but Procol Harum back in the day was like one of my favorite bands of all time. You know, that's a really good that. choice. Thank you, man. Gabe, what do you got? Oh, my gosh. I'm so, only going to say this because I can never get enough of this album, but uh, it, it's it's uh, Welcome to Sky Valley, Caius. I just, there's a lot on that record that can go a long way and, and it lasts long and uh I just love that album. Four tracks. You can play it on the jukebox at any bar and get 15 minutes worth of music. Out. Right. Right. Short and sweet. <laughs> well, it's... it's it, Four songs that are long, but... <laughs> well, each track has, like, two or three songs in it. They, they, they like, decided right. to mess with the... Which is ingenious. Exactly. Which is yeah. ingenious. So he brings yeah. up a good point as far as he can leave it alone on the jukebox and have uh, listen to it, not listen to it, have a conversation, come back. Yeah, it's like playing side one of uh, 2112. Yeah, there you go. Look at Ben. Ben's waiting for us to ask. But what Ben doesn't know is we're not going to ask him. Thank you. Thank you. That, that I appreciate. <laughs> You've been listening to the Lifers Podcast. Tune in next week for more Lifers. 